Well, praise God that everyone is here today. I'm going to continue on with a series that uh, I didn't intentionally intend it to be a series, but you know, God has a way of putting things together. And if you've been here the last few weeks, two weeks ago we were talking about being a mountain mover. Last week, Pastor was talking about miracles. And so, as I was praying about this this week, you know, it dawned on me that if you've ever had to stand in faith for anything, when you start doing that, it's like you paint a big spiritual target on yourself. And so, I know that there are many of you here, uh, myself included, that have got needs that, uh, frankly, can only be met by the miraculous, that God has to come in and do that, and we have to stand in faith for it until it manifests even though in faith we believe we have it now, right? It doesn't make sense in a worldly perspective, but that's the way God has it set up. So we're going to look at today about standing firm. Now, if you weren't here the last two weeks and you missed the messages, I encourage you to go back on the, on the website because they are available there that you can, can bring them up and listen to them. Um, but if I had to sum it up in two scriptures, it would be this. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith. And we know that that's a, that's a daily thing. When you live by something, that means that's an everyday, not when you feel like it, not when it's convenient, that's an everyday thing. And then the writer in Hebrew follows it up, says, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Now, that doesn't mean that God's planning on, you know, smiting you if you don't have faith every minute of the day, but it's an indication to us that, you know, as, as a kid, you want to please your, your dad or your parents. You know, you want to, to try and live up to the expectations you think they have for you. So you want to take that extra step. You want to push a little further to do what you need to do. And in this case, this is what God is saying. My righteous one will live by faith. Now, if you've been born again, if you've asked Jesus in your heart, accepted him as Savior of your life, whether you feel like it or not, you are now the righteousness of God. Now, God is going to continue to work on each of us. And in my case, it may be a daily, hourly kind of a work. <laughs> but he's going to continue to work on us to make us more like Christ. But he declares us as righteous the minute that we accepted him. The second scripture would sum up, I think, from last week especially, is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Because if we don't have this, then everything that we do in church becomes just a social club. Without faith, we don't have salvation. Without faith, we don't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to believe these things are real and that they're real in our life now or they don't mean anything. More than anything, this is the foundation of Christianity because everything revolves around faith with God. God won't move at all without faith, and we're going to look at that today. But now, as many of you know, I'm going through Bible classes right now. Uh, you know, it seems like a never-ending process, but I'm still working through classes. And... There's two different things that we talk about, and if you've ever been to college, you talk about this as well, but you have theory and you have practical application. And theory is wonderful because theory tells you things like why things work the way they do, and this is how this, this can come about. Practical application though, is when you get to go and do it. So, you know, for me, when I was in school with chemistry, that went from learning about the equations to getting to go in the lab and blow stuff up. That was fun because now that's practical application, right? You see big balls of fire, you get to see things working. Well, God's Word works the same way. We have theory where we learn about it, we learn about things, and then He shows us examples of practical application. Because God didn't ever call us just to come in and stay on a pew and come back once or twice a week. You know, Christianity is one of those seven-day-a-week, 
your own call 24-7 kind of jobs, right? And if you've ever had a job where you've had to work swing shift, you've been on call, you know, physically it can be, be demanding. Spiritually, it's no different. So we have to be ready because when the call comes, we have to be prepared. So we can't just rely on what we get on a Sunday morning, what we get on a Wednesday night to get us where we need to be with God. We have to spend time in His Word. We're going to take a look at an example today. This is in Mark chapter 5, and this is a familiar story, I'm sure, to most of you here. But I really want to break this down and drill down into this to kind of see this practical application of how this faith walk works. Not only an example in Scripture, but then how we apply it to ourselves. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now let's just stop there a minute. Where is Jesus at? <clears throat> He's outdoors, right? Let's, let's make sure we get this picture in our head clearly because this is important. Jesus has been out teaching. And you know, as you read through the Gospels, it tells you that when Jesus went out to teach, there was always large crowds that gathered around to hear him, right? Now, I want you to picture a large crowd. What, what does that look like in your head? 10 people, 20 people. I'm thinking there's probably a few hundred people here, right? This is a large gathering. And most of us have probably read this and we've glossed right over this, but it says there's a leader, a guy named Jairus. He comes down to Jesus and he falls at his feet. But let's look for a minute. Now, Jairus, in the middle of a large crowd, he pushes his way through this crowd. He comes right up to Jesus and falls down at his feet. But who was he? It says he was a leader. Now you go on and you read a little further. Jairus was a Pharisee. Now, do you think this would have made an impression to anybody in this large crowd that was gathered around? Because these are mostly local folks, right, that are there. And this is the Pharisee. This would be kind of like the equivalent of maybe, you know, I don't know, we're out here on the town square, Jesus is teaching, everybody in town's gathered around and the mayor comes through and just drops down. This is somebody the people would have known because in order to be a Pharisee, Let's go back and take a look at that, too, so we make sure we're on the right understanding with the context. Your Pharisees were your religious leaders in the synagogue. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, the synagogue is what the Jewish culture revolved around. This is where they read the scriptures. This is where they got together. This was everything for them. And still is in many cases today. This is their social network. This is where they come to meet people. This is where they come to talk and discuss things. And it's most importantly where they come to learn about God and fellowship and, and learn. So the rabbis and the teachers that they have set up, the community knows them, they respect them. And in, particularly back in this time, the way it worked is that a synagogue could only be established in an area. You had to have a certain number of Jewish families come together. The men had to come together and found this, this synagogue. And typically you had them for each neighborhood. Now, I never lived in a large city. I grew up in a, in a small southern town. But I've talked to people and had friends that grew up in larger cities like New York and stuff. And, you know, they'll tell you, like, you've got boroughs, right? You know, someone who's from Brooklyn knows someone who's from Queens by the way they talk or the way they say. There's differences that are very distinct. This would have been the same thing here. Now, it's tight-knit communities. It's smaller, but they would have known each other. So for the Pharisee to come out, this wasn't just a Pharisee, like we might say a state representative from a different district. This was someone that these people knew, that they saw on a regular basis at the synagogue. This was one of their teachers. And now look what he comes and does. He falls down at Jesus' feet. Now, when you read about the Pharisees, they don't necessarily get the best reputation in the Scripture, right? What were they trying to do most of the time? They were trying to kill Jesus, right? 
We've got to put him to death. We've got to get rid of him. So for the fact that a Pharisee comes out in public in broad daylight in front of hundreds of people and falls down at his feet, you can just picture the crowd's reaction. This is one of those <gasps> kind of moments, right? But look what he does next. Verse 23, it says, And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. Pleaded earnestly. Now, in the King James Version, that word is besought. And what that literally means is to call near, to call for, to entreat, or to pray. <laughs> and as I'm going through and I'm studying this and I'm looking at these examples, this is just, this is so amazing because right here what Jairus is doing is he's basically validating the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he never comes out and says as much. We don't have that recorded. But the language that they used in what he's doing here, we would probably say he pleaded earnestly and say, well, he was begging him. But the word they use can be translated as pray. He's earnestly entreating. He's reaching out to something. Because he sees that Jesus has a power that's greater than what he has. It's greater than his medical science. And he knows this guy has the answer. Would you say at this point that Jairus had faith in him? I would think so, right? Because look at what he says. He says, my daughter is dying. Now, that's fact. Okay, medical science of the day has said your daughter is, is on the point of death. She's dying. And he says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. He wasn't asking. He never once said, if it's your will, I would like you to come and consider taking care of my daughter if you're not too busy. If, he didn't do any of that. He didn't come and say how unworthy he is. He didn't come and say, I'm, I'm not worthy that you should be here, but I'm begging you. He, just, he threw all that stuff aside and he said, I've got this urgent need. And he came straight to God. And he said, if you do this, she will be healed. Let's look back at Hebrews 11.1. 1. What does that say? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Now, if we put this in our own life, this is that crisis moment where we come, we've had something bad in our life, we have something that's going on, and we have to come before the throne of God. And we say, God, I've got this issue going on. Well, in order for that prayer to be heard, the first thing we have to do is we have to understand how we need to ask for it. We have to ask with the expectation that God is going to do something. We can't pray a prayer of hope and expect an answer. Because hope is very nebulous. Hope is future tense. Hope is maybe. Faith is always now, and it's always certainty. But in order to pray that, faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So if we don't spend any time in this, when those crisis moments come, maybe the best prayer we can come up with is, uh, God, I really hope you can do something here. I want you to, but I'm not sure, because we don't know. We have to get in here and we have to understand what do we believe? What's it based on? If we're going to pray a prayer of prayer belief, the first thing we have to say is, I'm believing for this based on what? Based on the following promises in your word. So we have to come out and give that to him. And look what happens. Jairus pleaded with Jesus. He prayed this prayer in faith. And he said, if you come and do this, she will be healed. And look what happens. So Jesus went with him. Now, most people who know me know I am very nitpicky with words. 
And I actually did do this, and I think this was the leading of the Spirit. I actually went and looked up the word with because I really wanted to understand this. I broke this whole passage down basically word by word. So Jesus went with him. Now, according to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is kind of a standard that most biblical scholars agree on as as a good one to use, that with, it can mean in the company of, which is probably how we would think of it. Jesus went with him, the two went together. However, it can also mean on the side of, noting friendship or favor. And in this instance, that would actually be a more appropriate translation or interpretation because Jairus had done this. He had just humbled himself. He had just entreated or prayed in faith that Jesus would come with him. And so Jesus did. But it was the faith that made the difference. And now, like we've talked about the last two weeks, standing in faith, moving mountains, when that happens, distractions will come up. And let's just take a minute. I'm going to look at this here. I should have marked this second one, but they only give you one of these little things in, the, in your Bibles usually, and I needed it for something else. So if we go to Mark chapter 5, and we pick up uh, in verse 24, it says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And you can just see the disciples here, right, going, really? You see all these people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, while this event has been going on, who's standing off to the side? Jairus, right? Now, do you think that he came with maybe some sense of urgency? You know, this is my daughter here we're talking about. And I can just kind of picture this in my head because he needs Jesus now. There's hundreds of people we've got to work through. And if you've ever been at a large event, you know it always takes longer to get out when there's a ton of people, right? So he's like, I've got to get through all these people. And it doesn't necessarily say that he lived like two houses down. So, you know, maybe he had to go a few blocks to get back to the house. He's like, we've got to hurry and go now. Because unlike the centurion who said, I don't even need you to come in my house. Just say it and it'll be done. He said, I need you to come and lay hands on her so it'll be done. So he's very specific. Jesus has to come and be here this way to do this. That's what his faith is in. And then this woman comes up. And I can just kind of picture Jairus just kind of sitting there like, come on, we got to go. You know, can't you heal her later? We, we got things to do. You know, you'd imagine the anxiety this man had to be under. It's his daughter. I can't even imagine if it was one of my girls. I really don't see how you could be patient with all this. And you've got this time, you've got this distraction, and you, know, and you can kind of picture he's looking around at his disciples and he's saying, who touched my clothes? Jesus doesn't have any sense of urgency here. He's taking care of the situation as it comes up. He's not worried, he's not stressed. He's talking to his disciples, who touched me? Who, who? He's having the conversation, and you know, these things can take time. This isn't as fast as we read it in the Bible. You have to picture being there. 
This is a conversation with a group of people. There's a large crowd still gathered around. And it says, but while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And he says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now at this point, Jairus has a choice. And as we're going to find out, this is a life or death choice that he has in this moment. He doesn't have a lot of time to think about this. When we're standing in faith for things, we need to recognize the, the spiritual warfare concepts that come behind it. Because God always operates in a certain way, and the devil always operates in a certain way. And even though the wrappers may change, what's inside is always the same. The devil is always going to operate in doubt. He's always going to operate in fear. He's always going to operate in worry. And when we're faced with decisions like this, in that moment, we have that choice. Do I worry? Do I believe? Do I doubt? Do I believe? Do I give in to fear? Do I hold on to faith? But if we don't spend any time in God's Word, we're never going to be able to make that stand. Because we can't get faith any other way than by hearing from the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20 um, I'm going to take a look at, at verse 17 here in particular, but let me flip to that real quick. We've got a few minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and go through this. You know, you never know how to plan sometimes for a message if it's going to be short or long, so you, you, I try to plan it both ways, and thankfully this morning we've got some time. So we start in 15. Jesus says, uh, well, in the Word, it's Old Testament, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day you will certainly be destroyed. Now that concept of if your heart turns away is very important. Because as you see in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23, God tells us, says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, that's not poetic. That's not, you know, something, well, you know, yeah, we hear that. That's literal. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And we see that again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Uh, if you look at the second part of that verse, it says, Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Now, as a Pharisee, Jairus would have been very familiar with this passage because in order to become a Pharisee, it wasn't something someone decided to do. It wasn't a profession. They said, I think I'll, I'll grow up and be a Pharisee. You had to live righteously in front of your community publicly that people could see it. And another Pharisee had to invite you to become one. And once you made that choice, then it was a several-year process that you had to go through, that you had to be determined that, yes, you live a righteous life inside, outside, through and through, that you know the Scriptures. So Jairus would have known the Old Testament. So when we talk about faith, and we say it has to be based on the Word, it has to be based on something, these are the passages that Jairus would have been familiar with as a Pharisee, and then that God would have given him revelation that Jesus has the answer. And I wonder, and we don't have this for, for, you know, it doesn't say this is exactly what he was thinking, but I just wonder 
if this might not have been one of the scriptures that was going through his mind, choose life so you and your children may live. Because he had to have some type of scripture to base this faith on. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. We pick up again in verse 36, and it says, Ignoring what they said. I love that. You know, Jesus isn't moved by circumstances. Aren't you glad? No matter how bad the news is that we get, Jesus doesn't care. And it says, ignoring what they said, he told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, we can be moved by circumstances, but Jesus never is. Now, someone, I don't know who did this, I didn't do it, but someone has gone through and counted up that we're commanded 365 times in the Bible not to fear. And this includes things like worry, doubt, any kind of unbelief that ties in with fear. 365 times we're told not to do it. Now, I have often said that if God feels in his inspired word that he gave us, if he feels strongly enough about something to say, I'm going to repeat this, maybe we should pay attention to it and do it. I mean, I know we're sheep, right? You know, we're not the brightest of God's creatures, but if he says it so many times, maybe we ought to try and do that. Because why would God have put that in his words so many times if it wasn't of such importance? Now, modern Christian thought, in a lot of circles, plays this down. There are many who make fun of it. Uh, I was actually, and, and I still pray for this man, um, I'm sad to say I was at another church one time serving on a deacon board. They were not a, a Pentecostal church. Uh, but it was one where there were some people in the fellowship that believed in the gifts of the Spirit. And they made mention of it at one of the meetings. And the pastor at the time said, well, if someone speaks in tongues at my church, I'm just going to give the interpretation that they are going to give $1,000 to the building fund and we're going to keep going. And I pray for that man. <laughs> you know, it's one of those he doesn't know any better. But, yeah, I know. And, and I, it wasn't long after that that we, we left. I, I thought, I can't stay under this, this kind of leadership. But, you know, and I still pray for him because in so many other ways, God had a strong call in his life. You know, this is just one area where he was, was missing it really big. Uh, you know, but God's not done with any of us. So holding out hope with that one and praying in faith that he'll come around. But a lot of people say that, you know, maybe we're being too much by taking the word literally. Well, you can't really take that literally. That, that's just kind of a figurative thing. You know, I'm crazy enough that if God says it literally in his word, that's how I'm going to take it. And I mean, you can think I'm crazy all day long, but until he tells me I'm crazy and need to change it, that, that's what I'm going to go by. Because anybody, <laughs> here's the way I look at it. Any God who says, okay, we're going to go march on Jericho, the biggest city in the Old Testament at the time, and our battle plan is we're going to send the musicians in to march around it a few times for several days, blow your trumpet, and then the walls are going to fall down. That's the battle plan? Yeah, but it worked. I want to be crazy enough to go with what he says. And he tells us not to be afraid. You know, God is never going to be okay when we say, oh, but I just can't help but worry. Yeah, you can. It's not always going to be easy. But you can. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told you not to do it. What does it say? Be anxious for nothing. That's pretty clear, right? Nothing. Yeah, but God, no. But God, you don't know. <laughs> you know, there's no getting around it. You know, my kids try to do this. They'll try to wheedle me out of like extra treats or something. Yeah, but dad, no. Yeah, but, but dad, no. You know, until they finally figure out no means no means no. It's the same thing. You know, you go to God and you say, yeah, but God, you, did you see how bad this is? And you know, isn't that funny in our humanness? We do that. 
We'll be praying and we get stressed and we get aggravated and we say, God, do you not understand what I'm dealing with? Do you not see this situation? Do you not care? But you know, you're never going to go to God with any situation that comes up in your life, no matter how sudden or, or how much you've been dealing with it, where he's ever going to look at you and say, well, when did that happen? Gabriel, no, nobody tells me these things. He's never going to do that, right? Because he already knows. He's already got the answer. He's there. Most of the time, and my wife has been very faithful to tell me this many, many times in our marriage, and I have never learned to like it better yet, but it's so true. But she's told me, I said, you know, I'm really I'm fed up with having to wait on this. Why is God taking so long? And she's like, well, maybe he's waiting on you. Oh. But you know, in my examples, it has been true every single time. And I finally get to that point where I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to be taught. I need you to show me something. Where am I missing it? Where am I off track here? You know, unfortunately, I'm stubborn, and I'll beat my head against that wall for a long time. But, you know, but God is faithful, right? He still loves us. He works with us. He's patient. But he expects us to grow. He's never going to be okay with us just sitting still. Now, look at the other thing that happens, because the Bible says it's a choice. And according to the Bible, what we just looked at, it's a life and death choice. That's a literal life and death choice. Now look what happens in verse 37. He says, He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now you ever wondered why? He's got his group, right? He's got his posse he rolls with. He's got his 12 disciples. They come through. But Jesus only took those three. He brought the ones who were strongest in their faith walk. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to need in our life, we cannot just rely on any friend that we've got. We have to go to the ones that we know are going to pray a prayer of faith and agreement with us. That prayer has to be based on God's word. Because again, prayers of hope are only hopefully going to get answered. There's no certainty to it. Because they're not based on anything. Jesus never ran the devil off or performed a miracle based on, boy, I sure hope this works. He never did that. And he says we're not supposed to do that either. He set the example for all of us. The way he did it is the way we have to do it. Look at verse 38. It says, When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to him, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. Now, in this instant, this is not Jesus performing a miracle because he's the Son of God. He is the Son of God. But this is Jesus answering a prayer of faith. This is what moved him there. Remember, Jairus asked him, he entreated, he prayed in faith. And what happened? And Jesus went with him. See how one follows the other. And Jesus answered this prayer of faith. Jairus chose to believe, which allowed the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work through Jesus. We see an example of how it doesn't work in Mark chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, He could not do any miracles there, talking about Jesus except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So your faith has everything to do with the situation. Not just a little bit, it's everything to do with the situation. Because don't you think in this instance in Mark 6 that Jesus wanted to do more than just heal those people? Don't you think he wanted to do more things for that community? And he couldn't. Not that he didn't want to, not that it wasn't God's will, he couldn't do it. Why? Because they didn't believe. 
they had no faith that he could do it. Look again, too, in verse 39 back in, uh, in Mark 5 here. It says, notice how Jesus spoke the desired outcome. Now, why, was, why did he do that? Why was that important? He said, the child's not dead but asleep. Why would he have needed to have said that? He could have just walked right in and did what, he, what he's going to do, as you're going to see in a minute. He could have just asked, why all the commotion? Everything's going to be fine. He could have said so many different things, but he was very specific here. He said, she's not dead but asleep. Well, we see that in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. What did Jesus say to do to the mountain in Mark 11? He said, you speak to it. The words we say in faith have everything to do with this. Whoever says this mountain be removed, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be removed. Okay? And God sets this pattern through the whole book. You go back to Genesis. We mentioned this you know, earlier today. Look at Genesis. How did God create everything? He spoke it, right? And God said, let there be light. And God said. It's right there. Why did he have to speak? He could have just done anything, right? He's God. Why did he have to do it that way? Because he's showing us the pattern of how to be more like him in every situation. And if we're to be more like Jesus, we can't take this seriously enough. But look at what happens in verse 40. But they laughed at him. How many times have you heard people say, well, this is what you have to do, or this is what I'm going to pray, or this is what I'm going to believe, and you've had people look at him and say, well, you're crazy, it doesn't work that way. Now, especially if they're your non-Christian friends, right? And you tell them, well, I'm praying for so-and-so's healing. They kind of look at you like you got two heads. Like, what, what? You know. They're expecting you to do the same things they do, right? Oh, well, it's terrible. They were diagnosed with this. It's really bad. Or, well, I don't know how this is going to get paid because, you know, a person lost their job and this is... As a Christian, we, we're not supposed to be like the world, right? But if we find ourselves talking like the world, maybe that's an area we need to grow in, Right? Because we can't be talking that and say we're having faith that God's going to do something. If you turn around and say, yeah, God's going to provide my needs. Oh, I don't know what in the world we're going to do. That, you know, lost the job and we got no money. And... Okay, is God going to provide your need or is he not? If you believe he's going to provide it, you can let the worry go. You don't have to know where it's coming from. My goodness, I could tell you story upon story of how, you know, we've had financial struggles. We've had things going on. And I'm like, I have no idea how this bill is going to get paid. And, well, I'll give you a good one. I had one the other day. This came up. Yeah, I occasionally have done some painting work on the side. Used to, to do contract work full-time for a while when I was in between jobs. And I uh, hadn't really done it for years. And I was talking one day at work. And there's somebody that I work with who happens to have some rental properties. And he's like, you still, you still paint? And I said, well, I haven't done it in a while. But I said, yeah, I mean, if I had some free time, I'd be willing to do it. And he says, okay. He says, well, I've got some stuff that's coming up I need done. And I said, okay, I'll be glad to come help you out, whatever. And he says, well, I'll pay you for it. And I'm like, well, okay, that, that's fine. Now, I'm not contracting with him. I'm not saying, you know, here's my price per hour that I'm looking for. I just said, yeah, I'll go. I knew the guy, I trusted him. He's a good guy. And, you know, I did the work for him, took a couple of weeks or whatever, got it done. And he wrote me out a check. And it was for exactly an amount that we needed to pay some bills. And I hadn't done any kind of painting work in like two years. I had just prayed, I'd ask God, I'd say, God, you know we've got this need coming up, I'm going to have to trust you to meet it. Because with finances in me, I finally got to a point, I banged my head against this wall for years, and I finally just got to a point, it's all got to come from God. 
It's not my job. It's not anything else. And God knew the need before we had it. So now when something comes up, Lynette and I just look at it, we pray over it, and we say, well, it's not a surprise to God. I'm going to trust he's going to take care of whatever it is, and I'm not going to worry about it. Because i got to tell you, worrying about it doesn't do nothing but keep you up at night. You know, we, we have a joke in our house that we say, you know, the King James says, you know, you're not going to add any cubits to your stature by worrying about it. And so we start getting into that worry thing, and it's like, you're trying to add cubits over there. Oh, yep, yep, quit. Can't do that. Got to let that go. Yeah, it, but again, that's an encouragement, right? As Christians, we encourage one another. Because sometimes even when you know to do something, it's still easy to trip and mess up. Remember, we're sheep, and sheep are dumb. <laughs> and so that's what happens sometimes. We do dumb things. But God's merciful, and he loves us. They laughed at Jesus. You know, but I love this because Jesus gets the last laugh. And this is one of my favorite parts. Verse 40, uh, in the second part of verse 40, says, After he put them all out, isn't that great? He threw everybody out of the house. That's just awesome. <laughs> Here's these people, they're laughing at him. He's, he's crazy, and he's like, get out of here. They just usher everybody out the door. And why? Again, because you don't want unbelief in the midst. You can't have unbelief in the midst of faith and expect anything to get done. He puts them all out. He takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. Remember, we live by faith. And we believe that this can be a matter of life and death, so we can't afford to surround ourselves by unbelievers when we're praying for needs. You know, because you can be certain the devil's going to use any advantage that you leave him. And sometimes that's why I say you've got to go to your believer friends that you know are right there with you in this belief. Because sometimes the people the devil uses the most are, are some of the people that maybe we go to church with unintentionally. But you start talking to them and they start saying things that just bring you right down. It's kind of one of those, like if you ever have somebody, and usually we see this more with medical conditions than anything else, but you ever know those people who you're going through some kind of medical issue and you share it with somebody and you're like, yeah, I'm really kind of nervous, this is going on. And they say, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so I knew had that, they died. <laughs> How is that helpful? It's not. You know, and if you're that person, don't be that person. It's not helpful. You know, they don't want to hear your horror story. They're looking for encouragement and prayer and uplifting. And here's how God can take you out of that situation. And, and here's somebody I knew who God healed from that. That's the kind of stuff they're looking for. You know, they don't want to hear about the person that died horribly. And you know, No, that's, don't do that. You've know, you got to surround yourself with believers. You've got to get people there that are going to be with you on this. This miracle that we see, Jesus performs the miracle. But the miracle is still all about the faith of Jairus. If Jesus had let those other mourners stay, what would have happened? They would have started telling Jairus he was crazy. Look, she's dead. You can see she's not breathing. Did you see that? She's dead. Look how dead she is. That makes it difficult, right, to say, no, I believe you still got this, God. All that clamor, right, that noise. They would have said Jairus is crazy, and if he'd have listened to much of that, he would have believed it. Because just like faith comes by hearing, doubt also comes by hearing. The opposite's true, because you're always hearing something, whether it's doubt, whether it's unbelief. And I can give you an example of this. If you don't watch the news, spend about a week watching the news, and tell me at the end of that week, do you feel more uplifted or do you feel more depressed? Do you feel more anxious about what's going on in the world or less? Okay, what you hear, right, is going to determine it. And look what happens here. 
Jairus kept his faith, praise God, and he stood in the gap. If you have time to go back and look at that reference, that's in Ezekiel chapter 22, and, and there's been some men's conferences that have gone on. I went to one one time that was great about this. And we've got a few minutes, so I'm going to touch on it briefly. But it's this idea of standing in the gap for your family. Jairus was not only a synagogue leader, not only a Pharisee, he's also a husband and a father. And as a husband and a father, he's a spiritual head of his household. It's his responsibility to do these things for his family. You know, and sometimes that feels like a little bit of an extra burden. <laughs> you know, when I look at my kids, I look at my wife and I think, okay, it's, it's my job not only to keep myself on track, but I have to keep myself on track enough that I can help keep them on track because that's my job. And when my wife's struggling with her faith or when my kids are struggling with something or they're dealing with an issue and they maybe don't know enough yet to pray and have faith, it's my job to stand in that gap for them. That's the same thing Jairus is doing right here. His daughter's dead. She can't stand in the gap, right? She's dead. And he had a choice in that moment. And I imagine this probably had to be the toughest, the toughest faith battle of all. When he left, she wasn't feeling well, but she was breathing. She was looking around. They come and tell her she's dead. That hits hard. He gets back. He sees the mourners. He walks in the house. Now he's looking at her. I really cannot imagine what it would feel like. I cannot imagine what he was thinking in that moment. But I know what he did. He stood in the gap for his family and he continued to hold on to his faith because look what happens. In verse 41, Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. And she was 12 years old and at this they were completely astonished. Now let's go through and look at this for a minute and I want to compare this because look what happens here. Let's see if we can go back and find this in the notes quickly. Do you love when God just gives you something on the spot? So what did Jesus say? Uh, what did Jairus say rather to Jesus? He says, if you'll come and pray for her, right? right? If you come and lay hands on her, right? She's going to be okay. She'll live. She'll be on. What did Jesus do here? Look at this. He took her by the hand, so he laid hands on her. This is what Jairus said he was believing. It's what he's having faith in. So Jesus had to do it this way because this is what he had faith in based on the word that he had knowledge of. He took, him by, took her by the hand and then what? Then he spoke to the mountain because you've got to speak. Look at this. He spoke to her. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she stood up. And the people were completely astonished. And I love that because wouldn't you be... Have you ever had those things where something happens and even though you've been praying for it maybe for months or years when you see it, you're still impressed and amazed? I can't tell you the number of times that's happened. Lynette will tell you. We've prayed for something maybe for months, for years, and we see it start to manifest and we sit there and we're just like, that's the coolest thing. We've been believing for it forever, but you see it manifest and it's just, it's like, it's amazing. It's like you're still surprised even though you shouldn't be surprised because you've been believing for it. <laughs> but they were astonished. And, and I, word that, that, I love that word. It's not just like they were like, oh, wow, good job, God. They're astonished, like jaw hanging on the floor, kind of, you know. The girl was dead. He takes her hand and she gets up. I mean, can you imagine that? You know, if you went into a place and a person's laid out in the casket and 
Maybe it's not their time and someone just comes up and says, get up, and they set up. <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, oh. you know. They were completely astonished. And in verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told, her to give her some, told him to give her something to eat. And that's important too, and I've often wondered about that passage. I'm like, well, why do you put that part in there about something to eat? What, you know, that seems kind of just odd. It's like a little side note we gloss over. But look at what happens. The spiritual needs were addressed first here, okay? Because this was a spiritual crisis. Jairus prayed. Jesus came in. But then the physical needs get met as well as a product of this. Because physically, she had been ill. She hadn't been feeling well. Now she's restored. She's healed. Her body was weak. She needs food. <laughs> so he says, get her something to eat. Sometimes we get so caught up, though, looking at those natural problems that we fail to see the real issue that's going on. Which, you know, I'm convinced it always is going to be spiritual. We see this in Ephesians 6.12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, do you think that that would include finances? Do you think that includes disease? Do you think that includes any of those kinds of things? Yeah, because it's all part of the natural. And it says our struggle's not against the natural. Well, if our struggle's not against the natural, what is it against? Because that's what's always coming against us, right? That's what we see. That's what's always in our face are these natural problems. And he says we don't struggle against that. We struggle against rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I went through again, because I like to break words down. I looked at these. Rulers, or if you're familiar with the King James Principality, it just means a magistrate or, or the ruler of something. Authorities is someone who has delegated influence or who has a right to do something. Spiritual forces of evil, King James calls it rulers of darkness, could also be translated as world ruler, which in this case is also an epithet for Satan. Now it's important to notice the distinction here in this too, because if Satan rules the darkness of this world, What's the word in relation to that? Psalm 119, 105 tells us, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 8, 12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, now, if we don't struggle against flesh and blood, we struggle against... The ruler of darkness, basically, if you wanted to shorten that up a little bit. Well, how do you run off darkness? How do you get rid of it? Bring in some light, right? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And what provides the lamp for our feet to guide our path? God's Word. If we're struggling with something, if we're having issues with something, if we're confused, if there's doubt, if there's any of those kinds of things at any time going on, that is never God. That's not his uh, modus operandi, if you will. That's not his way of doing things. But that is our enemies. So when we get to those situations where we feel stress, we feel these issues going on, we feel this darkness surrounding us, we have to bring in light. We have to spend time in God's Word. We have to have that light for our feet so we know what to do next. When we follow God, we have to submit ourselves to Him. You know, I used to get irritated with those, not mad irritated, but just, you know, you kind of hate to see it sort of thing. Those bumper stickers that said, God is my co-pilot. 
No. You know, God's the pilot. We're along for the ride. <laughs> you know, he's got to be in charge of that thing or we've got bigger problems just right there out the gate. We have to submit ourselves to God. But look what happens when we do that. James chapter 4 tells us, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Now, it doesn't say he might. doesn't say he could if he feels like it. doesn't say eventually. It says he will flee. And that word flee doesn't involve he'll slowly walk away, he'll slowly back out of the situation. That word literally means he's running as hard as he can for the hills. He's getting out of Dodge. Why? Because you're submitted to God. The darkness can't be around the light. You ever flip on a light switch? How quick does that dark room get light? Like that, right? It's instant. When you walk by faith, you can expect the same thing from a spiritual standpoint to be going on. Now, the manifestation of it can take time. Sometimes it's instant healing. Sometimes it may be healing over a process. Sometimes God may choose to do it through the doctor. Sometimes he may do it instantly. But just like Jairus, we have a choice in every situation with that. Do we continue to stand in God's word based on God's word and say, God, I've prayed about the situation. This is what your word is showing me. This is the light in my path. I'm standing firm and believing this. Or do we eventually get worn down and say, well, it's not happened in so long. Well, it's been forever. I guess it must not be the way he wanted to do it. When we do that, let's finish looking at the verse and we'll get to that in just a second. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That double-minded concept means to vacillate, it means to go back and forth. If you find yourself going back and forth, take some time and find the scriptures that cover your situation. And if you need help, if, if you're like, hey, I'm not really sure, let you know, one of us know, talk to Pastor Jeff. I'll be glad to help you if I can with what I've got. You know, we'll go through and we'll do a word study for you and we'll get you some, some information, right? We'll get you some moves for your sword there, for that word of the God. And then once you've got those scriptures, you have to meditate on that word daily. You know, the Bible tells us what we're to renew our mind daily, right? It doesn't say ever so often. It says do it daily. Why? Because when we do that, God's word is then going to have the supreme place in your heart and in your thinking. We have to get to a point spiritually where we don't ignore the world, but we're not influenced by it. You ever see these people of just amazing faith and, and you talk to them and you see what they're doing and it's like, you had this huge thing come up. What did you do? I didn't worry about it. There's a great example. There's a, a pastor that I like to follow and he's got a, a very large ministry and he tells one time about 10, 15 years ago where God had called them to do all kinds of outreach, all kinds of stuff. They had this huge, massive program going on and, and it was a, a multi-million dollar kind of a project that they had. And they got to a point where on the books, they were over a million dollars behind. And one of the things that God laid on his heart is we don't ask people for money. So he never stood in the pulpit and said, we've got this debt, we have this issue. He simply took it to God and he said, God, I'm trusting you to meet the need. And when it came, he said, I had the choice. He said, I felt this pressure. And he said, I immediately stopped. And I said, no, because your word says... He got together with some of his strongest prayer warriors. They spent time in prayer. They trusted God to meet the need. They let it go. And it wasn't but a very short time after that that they got a check in. I think one person sent them a check for over a quarter million dollars. And the only note attached to it was it said, God said I needed to send you this. Here you go. And it was stuff like that, but in less than like, I think it was like a month, two months time, they had every bit of the debt gone and they were in the black and they operated that way ever since. 
you know, that, that's a God thing. But just like Jairus, he had that choice. Do I give in to fear? Do I stand in faith? What does God say about my situation? He went to it and he said, my God says he's my provider. If he's called me to do this ministry, if he's called me to do this, he knows the financial need. He knows what it takes to do it. If he says he's going to meet my needs according to his riches, not mine, his riches, then I have to trust he's faithful to his word. And that's really the choice that we have every day. We have to basically come back and say, do I believe this book? Do I not? And that's what it's all based on. And we get to the point where we're like, I'm not really sure about this. That's that growth process that we have. Jairus didn't ignore his daughter's situation, but he didn't allow it to influence his belief. He stood firm based on his understanding of the word and the ministry of Jesus he'd already heard about. Because faith only comes by hearing, and hearing only comes by the word of God. You know, when we look at our own lives, do we feel that we have victory? If not, the question to ask is why? What's holding us back? Once you can put your finger on that, then the next question is, okay, well, what part of God's Word speaks to this situation? Because you're never going to have anything happen in your life that God doesn't already have an answer for. And once you have that figured out, now you can start getting on the path to real change because that's how we do it. That's how we grow. Yet it has to become so real to us that we naturally confess with our mouth and believe in our heart without wavering. That's what Jairus did and his daughter lived. And I'm going to throw in one more. This is one of those that God just kind of put out there. I'll see if we can find this quickly. I've got just a few minutes left. We'll wrap up with this. We were in Hebrews some this morning. I love the book of Hebrews. Favorite verses in there and, and a lot of my favorite parts of, <laughs> of the New Testament can be found in there. And let's just see if we can find it again here quickly. Yeah, here we go. Now this is talking about the growth process we have as Christians. And this is in chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 13. You know, we're going to go through to chapter 6, uh, probably finish up in verse 2 or 3 here. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Okay, by constant use. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And look what he describes as the elementary teachings. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He tells us that's the basics. That, that's the building block, right? That's where we start. That's our foundation. But he's basically saying don't spend time always just dwelling on those things. Take that, use that as a stepping stone, and grow in my word off of those things. That's why as Christians we should never be surprised when you hear about someone who was in a dire situation, someone went and laid hands on them and they were instantly healed. Or someone prayed for a situation and they were healed over time. Or there was a financial need and things were done. We should never be amazed at this. And in fact, if you look, I'm a firm believer that if you read through Revelation and you look at what's going on in the world right now, I really do believe that we are in the last of the last days. I think that we are at a point where God is getting ready to wrap it up, call it done, and take us home. 
And because of that, I'm also expecting and looking for God to have a greater outpouring of his spirit in these last days so that people will see that, that they will come to him in massive droves. And you're already hearing about it. You know, if, if you read in different ministries and things, you'll hear about services where 40,000 people are getting saved at a time. And I think to myself, God, we, we need that here. I want that here. You know, my prayer for this church is that God will have a revival breakout here. Because when people start to see, hey, God is doing amazing works here, in their spirit, they're drawn to that. Because we're all spiritual creatures. And whether we know it or not, we all react spiritually, whether it's good or bad. It all starts in the spirit. And when people see that and they hear about it, they're going to come. Why? Because people have real needs. What we have to do is our part here to prepare for it is we have to get in this word. We have to be built up in our faith. We have to be established on these basics and be moving on to the mature stuff. We have to be constantly digging in and saying, God, what more can I learn? What more can we do? You know, I would love it if every Sunday, if we had this altar full up here, not because I want people to have the needs, but because I see people getting set free from bondage. I mean, I see needs that people have, and when they give this stuff to God, you see the freedom in their face, and you see it in their eyes for the first time, sometimes in years. And it's heavy on my heart when I see people come in and they leave, and they seem to be the same as when they came in. And my prayer is always, God, continue to work on their heart. Continue to work on that need so they let that go, that they get to a point where they realize whatever chain is holding on to them, that you can break that. You know, we can't believe for each other. We can stand in the gap with each other. And we can lift each other up and encourage one another. But that faith walk is an individual thing. You know, Jairus believed. His daughter lived. The Bible is full of examples of that where people held on to their faith. And God's not going to call us to do something that we're not capable of doing. If he's called us to believe, if he's called us to do these things, he's already equipped us to do it. We just have to make the decision, do I agree to step out and do it or do I not? And God gives us the choice. So I'll wrap up with this quick prayer and we'll call it a day. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You know, we read about it, God, and sometimes it looks so easy. But when we really stop and we break it down and we really try to put ourselves into that situation, when we try to think about what was Jairus really thinking? What must have he been feeling? What was going through his mind when he walked into that room? We may not be able to picture exactly what was going through his head, but God, each of us have got something that we've each carried and that we may be carrying now. And we know what's going through our head. God, just the same as with Jairus, though, you've given the same answer for the situation, and it's you. You've given us your word, Father, which has the answer to every need and every situation that we have. For times when we don't understand, you've given us your promise that if we need wisdom, you'll give us more than we need for any situation. For healing, God, you've told us that by your wounds we are healed, and you made that present tense on purpose. You've said you're our provider, that you meet our needs, Lord, according to your riches. Not by anything we're doing, God, that's by you. 
When we struggle with issues where we don't feel worthy, Lord, you've said that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Whether we feel like it or not, that's who we are. It starts with acceptance of you, and it grows from there. God, my prayer is that we would be a church, that we would be a people that would stand up in this dark world and be a strong light for you. That we would reach out to our neighbors in love, that we would be those healing hands, God, that we would be those words of encouragement, those words of peace that we would speak into the storm that rages around people and say, peace, be still. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the answer. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would continue to be faithful and empower us, God, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, as blood-bought, born-again believers, we should never feel helpless. We should never feel like we have no way out or no way to do things because you've said that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Whatever you've called us to do, God, you've equipped us to do it. You've told us not to fear. You've told us not to doubt. You've told us not to be anxious. And you've given us forgiveness and mercy for when we do. You've never called us to be perfect, God, but you have perfectly forgiven us in each situation. Your mercy knows no end, and we are so undeserving, but we are so grateful. And God, just as we have this knowledge, as we have this truth within us, Lord, I pray that we would use that to reach other people. God, we have a VBS coming in two weeks. Lord, I pray so much that the kids who come here, that you would open their hearts to your word, that decisions would be made for you, that they would accept you, and that we would be able to help disciple them. And by doing that, God, maybe reach their parents if their parents don't come to church. Lord, you've put us here for a reason. I pray that you would always have a reason to keep us here because that would mean we're doing our job and that we're doing what you've called us to do in this place at this time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, my prayer is that you would be with each of us, that you would meet us all where we are and help us to be more like you and to grow to where you are, Father. Help us through the week this week, God, to be what you need us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.